And so we came back together into this company two years ago with this generational change in mind and have been able to partner together to take this incredible portfolio of communities and this incredible company and the people and the values that it represents and really shine a new lens on it with significantly different backgrounds than golf course developers. And we're familiar with the business. We grew up in it. We waited tables here and cut the greens here growing up. But to be able to go spend our time in consulting and finance and come back and look at this portfolio and try to think about where we want to move it to, that's been the, the challenge and the opportunity, what I sort of live and breathe right now. An experience, a memory, something very social, and just frankly, something new. That's the direction we're, we're trying to steer the ship in is, is provide those experiences, whether it's on our golf course, modifying our golf course, certainly not ripping up anything. We add par three courses to our golf course sometimes so that you can play holes in new ways and play a one hour, six hole, nine hole, par three course round of golf. We're pushing the envelope in terms of leveraging our existing spaces in new ways, getting people together in new ways and creating great memories and new experiences. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks very much for joining us, and please subscribe to the show so you hear about all of our upcoming episodes and you can enter at our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Tommy Southworth, who is the president and COO of Southworth Development. I was introduced to Tommy about a month or so ago, and we jumped on a Zoom call be honest, the two of us were thinking, is there something there? Would this be a conversation that our listeners would be interested in hearing? After talking to Tommy for a couple minutes, my answer was absolutely yes. And what I love about this, we're going to talk about today, maybe we're going to call this episode the art of the pivot, because what Tommy and his team have done with Southworth Development is reimagine their business model, which I believe his dad and the other founders and partners started over 20, 25 years ago. Tommy will correct me on that as the actual date, how long they've been at it. But they looked at other opportunity and they wanted to grow. So they have then extended and reimagined what they do for other business opportunities to unlock new value and to find new customers. So I haven't done the big reveal yet of letting you know even what Southworth Development is, but Tommy's going to talk about that in a second. But before we get into that, hey, I want to introduce him, bring him on here. Tommy, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast and thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Colin. Pleasure to be here. And to talk about software development, introduce us to the world. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, hey, before we get into the business side, I always like to ask this little icebreaker, Tommy. So tell us, because you've been around golf for quite some time with your family business, but what was your first golf moment that you can remember? Like, let's say, when did you first pick up a golf club? And what was the kind of that first magical moment that, ah, oh, that amazing thing that happened that hooked you on the game personally? I first uh, picked up a golf club when I was four. I was lucky. I'll get into the, the history of Southworth Development, but right around the founding of, of this company, I got access to, to start playing and was in summer camps that had a golf component. So got hooked early and, and really had the bug from the start. I did have one moment that stood out for me uh, as a kid. There was a, a Willowbend Children's Charity Pro-Am that happened every year on Cape Cod. And the owner of Willowbend at the time was Paul Fireman, which I'll get into. He was the CEO of Reebok. And so he had all these celebrities come uh, to this program every year. And it was highlighted by Greg Norman and John Daly, who were one and two in the world. This is all pre-Tiger Woods. And John Elway and Emmett Smith, really sort of awesome athletes at the time. Reebok athletes all came. But long story short, they staged this moment on the 17th tee at Willowbend, where John Daly accidentally or, or serendipitously 
drew a, a young kid out of the crowd. And turns out I was sitting there with my driver and a golf glove on ready to go for this PR moment. But John Daly pulls me out onto the tee box and I stripe my drive about 150 yards right down the middle and had never had a better feeling from a drive in my life and have been hooked on on that specific feeling, I guess, within golf ever since. Amazing to me. I think that's one of the, that's definitely the top one or two introduction, aha, uh-huh, stick with golf moments. Usually they're kind of a hole in one or the one that's kind of missed there, but that, that's an amazing story. That, that's going to hook you for life there and inspire still you. waiting on my ace. I, I think that'll rehook me. But, uh, are you? Are you? Okay. Yeah. Well, I've, I'm already one up on you then. So when I had my buddy actually just two weeks ago had one on the longest par three of the course that we play out here in Vancouver though. So yeah, so it's out there for you. You'll, you'll get it. It's, it's soon enough. It'll happen. So hey, let's, uh, let's rewind the tape here before you even got involved with the family business. So tell us about the origin story of the opportunity with Southworth Development. Why don't you tell us the backstory before we move forward and talk about all the good things you're doing now and how you're reimagining and pivoting the business now? So highest level, I guess, we're kind of a hybrid developer of golf courses and golf communities uh, and a hospitality company because we own and operate the clubs. It all started back in 1991, sort of the heyday of, of golf course development. The grass was grown to the sky back then. If you look at the supply of golf courses in America, there was this enormous boom that happened from about 1990 to 2005 that was really tied to the expansion of real estate development around golf. Mm-hmm. And we sort of accidentally tripped into the space. Paul Fireman, who I mentioned briefly, he had a residence on Cape Cod and, and he couldn't get into the two country clubs that he wanted to get into because he was Jewish. Hard to imagine something like that happening in 1991, but he bought Another course, Willow Bend, out of bankruptcy. It had come out of uh, the savings and loans crisis of the late 80s and bought it as his own course, his own property. My dad was his first hire and they set off developing Willow Bend, which was a, a huge success again in the early 90s. Long story short, got dragged in a million different directions, ended up developing golf courses and, and golf resorts and communities all over the US and Caribbean, probably touched 75% of the courses in Puerto Rico. And the rest is history. We've acquired or or developed and managed dozens of properties across the U.S. into Europe and currently have a portfolio of six communities, the Abaco Club in Abaco, Bahamas, Creighton Farms in Aldi, Virginia, Northern Virginia, Willow Bend on Cape Cod in Boston, Renaissance Golf Club on Boston's North Shore, Makarhanish Dunes in Scotland, and a non-golf community called Meredith Bay on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. That's the basics of it. I'd, I'd love to get into sort of what made the company interesting back then, only because I've spent a lot of time researching the history, the founding of the business and what that means for us today. There's some interesting threads to pull there. Yeah, absolutely. I love to hear is it the first thing you mentioned out of the gate of how the company came to be in the first place. And I talked to entrepreneurs in tech and golf and different sectors all across the spectrum in different industries. And there's always that aha moment, that inspiration. And usually the pain point is something that you suffer from personally that you then need a solution to. And that one, sadly out of racism, was the reason why I got to go buy my own golf course. And then sounds like just kind of stumbled into it and then learned and became very, very good at managing and developing a golf course and then slowly scaling that over the next, well, really 30 years of what you've managed to do with Southworth Developments. So yeah, so tell us a little more about the origin story, kind of building this up. So we always talk about scaling businesses, especially with tech. Of course, you want to scale really fast. But in your case, I've looked at your website and your history and seen even the timeline. And it seems like every single year from 1991, you were like constantly putting another brick in the wall or even 
creating new walls. So tell us a little bit about that, about that consistency, which isn't sexy in business, but just seeing opportunities, being strategic and, and just sticking with it and being tenacious. So tell us about the culture and the history of the company. So it was, I don't want to say accidental, but largely accidental. Paul Fireman, who I've mentioned several times now, he grew up around golf. He was very passionate about it. He was a caddy at, at his local club, Thorny Lee in, in Massachusetts. Got dragged into this project by need, desire, a strong interest in creating a community that stood for more modern values, I think, than some of the other old stodgy clubs around New England. So Willowbend was meant to be a mold breaker. Everything that the club did was different. I mean, first of all, it was very intentionally open to, to all, very intentionally inclusive. And early on, we had to kick out some members who were jerks and who didn't fit that mold. Everything the club did, though, was meant to be innovative. There were jeans allowed in the grill room, the stuffy old steakhouse grill room of every New England club. We didn't allow smoking. We allowed jeans. When sushi became popular in the 90s, we brought in a sushi chef and a sushi bar. When Starbucks first hit the scene, we were the only place on Cape Cod you could get a cup of Starbucks. And so everything that we did, we tried to sort of evolve the club model. And this was just meant to be a fun place for successful people of all backgrounds to spend their time with their family, with their friends. And that's what made it so unique. Paul was a celebrity CEO and he had access to the A-listers from golf, from Hollywood, from athletics. And this was just sort of this fun, happy place that he developed on Cape Cod and developed very successfully. Our core business is really golf clubs surrounded by real estate. And so we have 300 homes here at Willowbend. And not only did we sort of sell a lot of golf club memberships early, but the real estate was incredibly popular. And so Willowbend became this real innovator and powerhouse in the world of golf development. And then timing's everything. The world was moving in that direction. And that's when we start getting pulled into all these other projects. And that's really when my dad went from general manager of Willowbend to CEO of what was then called Willowbend Development. They had sort of stumbled on this formula that was very popular and, again, where the puck was headed and became kind of overnight golf course developers, which at the time there wasn't this entrenched industry. There weren't a lot of specialists. And so people were looking for other entrepreneurs that had experience that could come build their dream in Puerto Rico and Tucson or wherever it was. I love it. Love it. So I want to talk about the culture of the company. It sounds like from the ground up, from the leadership, it sounds like it's just built into the DNA of the company now, where so many companies, a lot of companies sadly don't have that at all. And people are just working for a paycheck. And But I really feel talking to you and, and, and seeing and speaking to some others that know your company, that you really live and breathe that just as far as your core values. And I do want to talk about that, but I to use the term. I do want to pivot to talk about the pivot of what you and the team have created. So my understanding is, well, maybe this was pre-COVID, maybe it's partially COVID-induced. So I'll let you tell the story here, Tommy. But it sounds like you really have spent some time strategically pivoting the company into a private community or a destination country club business. So can you tell us a bit about that is where you saw opportunity in that process, which I know change is hard. So rather than staying with what you're doing, looking two, three, five, 10 years in the future saying, this is where we want to be. We have to start building that today. So tell us a bit about that, of how you've managed to recalibrate and pivot the business and expand the business to this destination country club model. Sure. Pre-COVID, I guess the, the recent 10-year history of our club is that we picked up the, the six assets that we own today, including Willowbend, which we reacquired. 
all of the assets were sort of recession darlings, I guess, uh, of one form or another. It was a difficult decade in, in the world of golf development after the global recession of 2008. Yeah. And so we, we have this portfolio of communities that uh, had been owned by Ritz or you know other developers that had decided not to continue investing in the properties. And they're wonderful places. I mean, the highest quality clubs, construction, homes, but they needed some TLC. They needed some love that had to be brought back. And so really over the last 10 years, that's been what we've done with this portfolio is uh, not really ground up developments, but reimagining and redeveloping of existing communities and getting them back to the rightful places as true luxury leaders in our space. More interestingly, in terms of the recent pivot that's happened, there was a generational change in the business that officially broke on, on January 1st of this year, but was in the works pre-COVID. My dad has, has left the company and gone on to start something new and handed me the reins and our chairman and owner, Joe Deitch, has handed his reins off to his son, Matt. Matt and I went to grade school together. We've known each other since the fifth grade and have been friends ever since. And my background, I went to Harvard and was in finance for five years in various investment banking and, and private equity jobs. And so we sort of came back together into this company about two years ago with this generational change in mind and have been able to sort of partner together to take this incredible portfolio of, of communities and this incredible company and the people and the values that it represents and really shine a new lens on it with significantly different backgrounds than golf course developers. And we're familiar with the business. We grew up in it. We waited tables here and cut the greens here growing up. But to be able to sort of go spend our time in consulting and finance and come back and look at this portfolio and try to think about where we want to move it to, that's been the, the challenge and the opportunity of the last two years or so and what I sort of live and breathe right now. Got it. Got it. So wanted to ask you this because I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, especially whether people are building something from scratch, something that's never been done before or is, is disruptively innovative. A lot of entrepreneurs are just freaked out thinking, you know, I got to create this thing that's never been done before, something that is completely fresh, this blank piece of paper. So I tell them, I said, the work that we do in entrepreneurship in the sport and the golf space, what you're doing is you're then seeing the trends and patterns that are emerging in other industries and other sectors, and you're taking the best elements of those and then infusing that into the thing that you have and take the best elements already, in this case, golf course and real estate development, and get rid of the things that don't add a lot of value, heighten the ones that do, and then create new value with other elements outside of the industry. So in, in that sense... It's a long-winded way to get to my question, but yourself and Matt, what other industries have you looked at that inspire you to take elements that you're now bringing into the reimagined Southworth development? Yeah, well, first we looked at the, at the golf industry, which was uninspiring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was priority number one, was assess the industry we're in. I mentioned in the 90s, this golf course development boom, that's dried up. And if you look at the stats from the, the National Golf Foundation, our industry was significantly oversupplied from 1990 to, to 2005, six. The problem with the golf industry in particular, it's not easy to correct an oversupply. So we've had some demand shocks. Certainly the recession was a big one and a sustained one, uh, but there's lots of other reasons why participation in golf has dwindled since around 2005. This isn't a widget market. You can't correct the supply. There were 16,000 courses, 17,000 courses in the U.S., and not enough players and shutting a golf course down isn't easy. And so that was sort of light bulb number one was, whoa, this industry still has some correcting to do. A decade, 12 years after a recession, we're still seeing net golf course closings increase year over year. 
And by the way, COVID has changed a lot of this, and I'm very anxious to see the long-term impact of that. Sure, sure. Um, but step number one was look around, figure out what everyone else is doing. And geez, I think the first golf industry conference that I looked at, this is, by the way, two years ago, there was a, a keynote speaker talking about the wonders of email marketing to your members. And I thought, oh man, this industry is screwed and backwards. <laughs> I've always felt this passion. This company has been cutting edge or was cutting edge, started that way for all sorts of reasons, right? I mean, not technology-wise, but certainly socially and as this community center. And I looked around, I didn't see any innovation. And to be honest, after 30 years, we weren't cutting edge anymore either. So we've looked all over the place. I mean, the easiest place is hospitality, right? They, right. Hospitality, restaurant, hotel companies, they have to innovate quickly and they don't have an embedded membership base and they can't rest on their laurels. So we've graciously borrowed a lot of ideas from hospitality, F&B, hotels, and we'll continue to do so for a while playing catch up. But there's plenty of other industries that we look at, certainly adjacent to golf. Fundamentally, golf is a community experience, or that's what we want it to be. Lifestyle trends have changed dramatically over the last 30 years. Family values have changed. People's interests have changed. Millennials are aging. So we look all over the place for inspiration as to where we think the, the puck is going. Got it. Got it. And it sounds like from day one, that core value of diversity and inclusion before that was even a thing, <laughs> 1991, 30 years ago, sounds like you were living and breathing that through the company right at the beginning with developing the first property. So with that, how do you and the team and the business articulate that, like get that message across as more than just a marketing slogan? How do you build community and do that in an authentic way that resonates with people that is believable and consistent? Good question. I think it's it's something that we've always done well and, and have continued to do well. And we have an embedded base of members that will tell you that. This, these are their happy places, right? This is where they spend time with their family, with their friends. They're people who can choose where they want to be. And they've decided to be here with us. One of the things we, we have to grapple with, too... Fortunately, with being a privately owned company, we have some leeway. We don't have to deal with member boards and that sort of thing. Right. But certainly, we have an embedded membership base that we want to keep very happy. And so ruffling feathers too much is, is always something on our mind, on our radar. So we want to evolve. We want to inch forward. But we can't sort of just upset the apple cart immediately. Areas that we've really dove into are targeted at millennial preferences towards you know, authentic, engaging experiences. And we get no pushback from our membership base doing that. And there's many things that we're trying. One of my favorites is just trying to get people to, to do new experiences, to engage with our facilities, our sports, their friends, our members in new ways. One of my favorite examples was last year in the depths of COVID, we have a stadium tennis court here on Cape Cod at Willowbend. And it was used for this tournament that we ran in the 90s and really has just kind of been used for sporadic tennis matches ever since. Right. So we have this space, you know, sitting in the middle of the club that's been underutilized forever. And one of our, our golf pro actually came up with the idea, he had seen it online somewhere, to do human foosball, which is going to take me a minute to sort of paint this picture. But in the middle of the stadium tennis court, we strapped a bunch of pool noodles across. Everybody got taped in. Everyone was 10 feet apart, very COVID safe. And the whole community came out to watch people play soccer, tethered to pool noodles on the tennis court, having to shuffle left and right with their fellow members. <laughs> <laughs> and it was outrageous. The local news actually covered it because it was that outrageous. But what I loved about it was it took a space that's in the center of our community that's horribly underutilized, brought people together to try something new. There were more spectators than there were participants just for the, the novelty of it. Yeah, yeah. And it became a, a staple. We've been doing it ever since here at Willowbend and 
are actually looking to do that and, and other things using the stadium tennis court and, and at our other communities. And again, an experience, a memory, something very social, and just frankly, something new. That's the direction we're, we're trying to steer the ship in is, is provide those experiences, whether it's on our golf course, modifying our golf course, certainly not ripping up anything. We add par three courses to our golf course sometimes so that you can play holes in new ways and play a one hour, six hole, nine hole, par three course round of golf. Right. We've put 15 inch cups out for various events. The ranges have been outfitted with Top Tracer technology, so we're able to play Top Golf on our grass driving range, bring the beverage cart up, turn on music, and, and have a Top Golf experience. So we're pushing the envelope in terms of leveraging our existing spaces in new ways, getting people together in new ways, and, and hopefully creating great memories and, and new experiences. Love it. Love it. Talking about the underutilized tennis court, I love that you're embracing that Airbnb or Uber model of taking underutilized assets that sit dormant for the majority of the time there, repurposing them, and so they're actually adding value. It's very cool. And it's fun. And it's super fun. So I look at that, what you did, it kind of leads into my next question in the entrepreneurship space. What you did there was an experiment. It's very low cost, low risk experiment. And hey, if no one liked it, if no one showed up, just wouldn't do it again. So can you tell me a little bit about that, whether how it applies to, let's say, the Abaco Club in the Bahamas or some of the other properties you're looking to develop? Because what you're doing, unlike digital platforms or building apps, which you can do fairly cheaply and quickly, you're talking big time bricks and mortar type stuff here, like literally, like, <laughs> like you've got to make sure you get it right beforehand. So how do you go about, let's say, customer validation or getting insights from potential buyers and users and then how do you go about prototyping these type of things before you actually then redevelop or reimagine a property or try things new? So what type of process do you have there within the company to rapidly prototype, I guess you can say, without spending a lot of money or physically building something that then you find out afterwards, uh, yeah, no one wants, which is kind of bad for business. Well, the good part about the, most of the experiences that we're trying to launch is that they actually don't require a significant investment, at least to prototype. Right. And so we try them. We try them. We've tried all sorts of events. And this reminds me of the conversation I had with the team a year ago where we sat around with the goal of differentiation. How do we mm. do what we do differently, differently than we've done it before, differently than everyone else does it? And it's a literal textbook strategy that we're doing after reading Michael Porter's Five Forces and, and deciding how to best confront our industry. Differentiate was kind of the buzzword that came out of that. We sat around and, and people thought, well, geez, aren't we going to ruffle feathers? Somebody had this wacky idea to do a drone race through our community okay. as a differentiator. And someone else said, oh, geez, I don't know about a drone race. We might break some windows. Everyone sat there and agreed that we should set out to break windows, that we were definitely going to break some windows, metaphorical or maybe physical along the way, that that should be our MO. And so we test a lot of different concepts, a lot of different social events. Some of them have picked up tremendously and we've decided to invest millions into facilities for those things. Pickleball comes to mind. Pickleball, fastest growing sport in America. There's a lot of reason to invest in pickleball, but it doesn't take much to set up a pickleball court. So we bought some nets and some paddles and set out some duct tape at first yeah. and programmed the hell out of it, brought people together in new ways. Pickleball is this wonderful sport where you can play it very seriously or, or very socially and everywhere in between. So we brought people together and in the last year we've decided to invest uh, a lot of money into pickleball facilities because it was wildly popular and, and this great new way for us to bring people together. Nice, nice. Well, I love what you're doing here that you're you're trying certain things 
taking a bit of a risk. And it sounds like within the culture, within the staff, you want them, you encourage them to come up with ideas that there's no punishment, no matter how wild or off the wall or out there the idea is, there's no stigma attached. And I've seen it in my previous life working in the architectural profession, which you think would be open to all ideas, no matter how out there they are. And then sometimes yeah, you felt like you just didn't want to speak up because you've seen other people then be shunned or reprimanded for even suggesting an idea that someone then was negatively shot down. Not saying a bad idea has to be tried, but at least frame it in a way to create a safe space for people to try that. And it sounds like you have. I've got another friend of mine and she works in this prototype thinking space doing these Google Ventures, Google X design sprints. And as she puts it, you figure it out, you nail it like you're doing, and then you scale it. It sounds like you're embracing that nail it, then scale it type of mentality. Absolutely. Yeah. Proving out the model, seeing success, and then pouring gas on the fire. That's what we're trying to do and where we're trying to evolve our blueprint and our DNA. If we can retool our communities to exactly where we want to go, to something that's scalable, that's interesting, and we think future-proof to the extent you can do that, we'll certainly be pouring gas on that fire. Nice. So, hey, we've talked about the past. Talk about what you're doing now. I have a feeling, since it is right in the DNA and the culture of, of the business now, that you're not going to stop innovating. I know COVID right now, we're still kind of coming out the other side of it, but still, it's hard to predict with all the variables where things are going. But I'd like to get your thoughts on the next two, five, 10 years, or even 20 years, where you think things can go. The company's now 30 years old. To ask you where you hoped it to be in 30 years, that's a bit unfair. But where, where do you think, with no timeline on it, where would you like to see Southworth Development be in the next couple of years in the space that you are in and where perhaps other opportunities exist? So to put my business hat on and a little bit less golf fanatic or country club enthusiast, our space affords a couple of interesting assets. The first being recurring revenue. We operate wonderful membership models. The lifetime value of our customers is extraordinarily high and we aim to please them and, and keep it that way. We also play in a really interesting luxury segment of the market. Between our demographic and our ability to hold them for 30 years, we have two really interesting assets to you know a hospitality brand or hospitality company. The issues are it's not a scalable model today. There's a huge fixed asset investment required to get a country club up and running. Yes. And I doubt any one of your listeners had heard of Southport Development, so there's a bit of a branding issue there as well. We need to create and build a brand that stands for what we try to offer. If we can get those four things, the, the recurring revenue and the demographic we kind of have, but scalability and brand, I think we build a really interesting company. And so as I look ahead 10 years, that's kind of the window that, that I try to look at. I think there's all sorts of really interesting ways to build membership models that aren't necessarily centered on golf or in any case, a traditional golf experience. How do you build lifestyle centers that are going to cater to the next generation and have those four pillars that I think make us the most interesting future company? We talk a lot about that right now. I mean, honestly, the biggest focus is, has been on defining our blueprint and what it is that differentiates us and, and makes us unique. And then we hope to launch that into all sorts of different applications of a similar model. We've seen Soho House do that very effectively in urban environments. That's not a model that we're going to replicate, but there's all sorts of ways. There's middle ground. People want these experiential luxury sort of lifestyle experiences and places, happy places. That's the lasting impact of COVID that I believe we'll see sustain is that people have decided that they want to spend more time where they're happiest and they can work oftentimes, especially in our demographic, they can work where they want to work and where is their family going to be happiest? Where are they going to be happiest? And so we want to make those happy places. 
I'll talk to you in 10 years, I'm sure before then, to figure out how we got there and what we defined those places to be. But that's kind of where our attention is focused right now is how do we evolve this lifestyle model? And I think golf certainly has a role in it. It's in our heritage. We don't want to innovate too far away from our core with the sort of these concentric circles of, of innovation that we talk about. We're not going to step wildly out of bounds on the first swing, but be interesting to see what that sort of mix of, of amenities, experiences, and community real estate is that captures the spirit that we're looking for. Nice, nice. So, so to wrap up here, you've talked about the pillars of what Southworth Development is about. Maybe you can kind of articulate that or distill that down. So what is, if you want to call the company vision or even really your core values and your differentiators between some of the other players out there with your competition? So what, what is it that makes you special, makes you unique, really makes people take notice that what you offer is sincerely different and valuable? Sure. Interesting question because we, we spent a lot of time focused on this exact topic about a year ago. I mentioned, and, and you touched on sort of the culture of this place, there's always been a really strong culture towards innovation, towards being good good citizens, but it wasn't written down anywhere for one. Right. And over the over 30 years and, and new people, I don't want to say it was diluted, but it, it wasn't at the forefront as much. And so we went through a big history lesson in part to really find out what was special about this company, what our DNA stood for. And we didn't have to dig that deep. We have a lot of employees here who were, were a big part of that. But we've drawn that out and defined a mission and values underpinning that, that we think represents who we are, who we've always been, where we came from, but also where we, where we want to go. So our, our mission statement is to celebrate life elevated. It's been celebrate life for a long time. That's kind of our core product is helping our members enjoy the fruits of their labor and, and spend time where they want to with the people they want to doing fun, memorable things, celebrating life. Elevated, we added not only celebrating a, an elevated life, but also as a continuous improvement action word for us. How do we elevate the celebrate life experience every day? Yes. And continuous improvement is a big part of our culture today. And we are always testing, trying, tinkering to be better, to do better the next day, the next year. We underpin that with four core values. The first one's deliver extraordinary. We couldn't do anything that we did without delivering it very well. It's a luxury experience. Uh, and so everybody's very much behind that. Deliver extraordinary is number one. The second is build community which is obvious for a, a real estate developer, but really speaks to the community, the experience that we're getting members together in, in new ways to create new bonds, create new memories. That's what building community means to us. That's also very much an internally focused core value around what it means to be a, a team member at Southworth Development. The third one is dare to be different. My favorite, not only do we want to be different, but we want to dare to be different. We want to put ourselves out there. We want to try. That's a really important core value for us to, to maintain some semblance of, of innovation in a space that doesn't innovate very much. And the fourth one is play to win. We're fundamentally a company built around a sport, so figure we'd have uh, an athletic reference in there. Whatever we do, we want to win in however you want to define that. Nice, nice. Well, I'm glad I saved that question till the very end because that kind of wraps everything up in a tight little, tight little tidy bow there, Tommy, very nicely. So what I also love is the fact that the company has been innovating and reimagining itself during COVID. I've talked to so many entrepreneurs that think, oh, maybe it's time to, to stop. And history has proven that the best time to innovate, that most innovation that is the most disruptive and even the most valuable occurs or is kind of incubated during those down periods. 
and you look at the recession of 2008, 2009, I think that really was, social media really wasn't a thing till after that between Twitter and Instagram really blowing up after that and even Airbnb, Uber and Lyft and others, those really coming out the other side at 2010 and afterwards. So I'd just like to ask you this, if you're willing to share, kind of put you on the spot here as an entrepreneur, I think I know you well enough, you're, you're humble enough and you're willing to do this. Not everything always works out, whether it's timing, whether it's a recession in 2008, if things are lined up, or whether it's because you try things and it just didn't work out. Are there any things over 30 years that have been tried in the company that didn't work out, but it served as, as a tremendous learning lesson and opportunity to then try something else or to take those lessons learned from that that actually has made the company better, not worse? Is there anything you could you'd be willing to put out there that didn't work over the years? Or has everything worked uh, completely perfectly over 30 years? I, exactly. I, everything's worked perfectly. <laughs> yeah, no, I got to take my sales hat off for a minute. No, lots, lots. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a, um, a quarterly update to my team right now to the whole company talking about failure as our friend. Uh, right. And this nice. back to continuous improvement. We fail every day and we've failed in big and small ways over a 30-year history. Trying to rack my brain for a specific example that would be apt for now. I mean, any new developments that hit the scene in 2006 or 2007 in our space had a lot of failures that were hard to avoid and painful and selling fractional ownership units in a small town on the west coast of Scotland was a 2006 idea that didn't that didn't look very <laughs> smart in 2011. No. Uh, so, so there's plenty of failure to point to, but I did literally write the sentence today to our team that, that failure is our friend and we need to embrace it. So we'll continue to fail and, and improve every day because of it. Well, I love that you own it, you put it out there, you embrace the F word, in this case, failure, because uh, you're like me, we, well, like pretty much everybody, we grew up whether it's elementary, primary school, high school, then college, university, and it's competitive and it's quantitative, right? It's a mark, right? Rather than an entrepreneurship, it's about collaboration. It is about that feedback loop and constant improvement. So is it fair to say you probably had to do like me? You probably had to spend a few years unlearning a lot of the things that you were taught in order to be in the position and be the person you are right now and the leader that you are right now, that failure is your friend rather than something that has this stigma attached to it of shame? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an important part of life. And and at the end of the day, any company is dealing with people and getting people to move in interesting and, and new ways and people fail. People aren't perfect. I'm the biggest example of it, I'm sure. I'm sure my employees would give you all sorts of things I've failed on. <laughs> that is the trick is is getting the right culture and security, I think, around people to to let them fail freely, be humble and evolve. Love it. Well, I think you're certainly on the right track. I can tell it's sincere when you say that. It's not something you just memorize is the right thing to say. I can, I can tell it's <laughs> right in your DNA there. And I'm excited to see where you go in the next 10 years. And hopefully, because I'm up here in Canada, hopefully the border opens up uh, before 10 years, hopefully soon, and we can actually meet each other in person because I think that would be great. I'd love to love to spend some time with you very soon, Tommy. Sooner rather than later, hopefully that happens. That'd be so, great. Yeah. Let's play some golf. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hopefully you can uh, put up with my 16 handicap and, and we'll go from there. So, uh, so hey, as we finish up here, why don't you tell our listeners where they can learn more about Southworth Development and all the good things that you're doing. Sure. So our corporate website is southworthdevelopment.com. That'll direct you to all of our properties, which are a little bit more interesting uh, websites to look at. But willowbendcapecod.com, theabacoclub.com, uh, Makarhanish Dunes, probably my favorite website to go look. Lots of pretty pictures and some interesting experiences reflected on there. Nice, nice. Well, as I always do, I will ensure that in the show notes, 
for this episode. I will put all those links in there that you just mentioned to make it nice and easy for our listeners to click on those if they want to see how you are building community and creating experiences in, in magical moments. So, hey, Tommy Southworth, CEO, President of Southworth Development. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for taking the time and joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you, Colin. It's been awesome. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tommy Southworth, President and COO of Southworth Development. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.